Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. everybody it's the throwback league and the elite eight is now underway we're down to the quarterfinals of a 48 team tournament of world series participants from our nostalgia era the era between 1974 and 2006 it is tonight the 2004 team of idiots the boston red Sox are hosting the 1991 minnesota twins josh lewin with you thanks again for finding us fun matchup tonight of right-handers who really do know their craft and can articulate the art of pitching very well. It's a knuckleballing Tim Wakefield, opposed by the Hall of Fame right-hander, Jack Morris. And we'll explore both teams in detail in just a moment on this cool but clear evening here on Yawkey Way. To get us started, let's bring in our pregame analyst Hall of Famer, John Miller, getting his memories of the Minnesota Twins. These guys were a hardened veteran group, and... Uh, they had evolved into one of the, the, the powers, but they love their own ballpark. There were so many quirks in the Metrodome, it's hard to divorce the World Series that year from the ballpark itself. And the Twins won every game at the Metrodome. It was a, a crazy thing, which has not been so unusual since then, but uh, it was sort of the, the flip side of Washington and the Astros where every team won every road game, which is the only time in history. So anyway, uh, that Minnesota team was a fun team, and uh, I, I think the, uh, uh, they've, they've been trying to find that magic ever since because that was about as good as it has ever gotten for the Twins. Very true. Thanks, John. The Twins winning the World Series in 87 and 91 by winning every home World Series game they played. That offset losing every road World Series game they played. Haven't been back to a World Series since, as of the dawn of 2020. Look at their postseason history, 91 through 2019. The 0-2 Division Series, that they won against Oakland, but then they lost four games to one of the Angels. 0-3 against the Yankees, lost three games to one. 0-4 against the Yankees, lost three games to one. Then it got worse. Swept in 0-6 by the A's. Swept in 0-9 by the Yankees. Swept in 2010 by the Yankees. Lost a wild card in 17 to the Yankees. Swept in 2019 by the Yankees. So, since beating the A's in the ALDS of 0-2, two wins, 23 losses in postseason play, 16 in a row including the 0-13 to New York. But that 91 team, 
They got it done by winning the ALCS four games to one against Toronto, then surviving the Braves in that epic best of seven. The, uh, the winning game seven was the man on the mound for them tonight. That was Jack Morris, of course. But the, uh, the matchup against the Blue Jays that preceded that, nobody really talks about that series, and I get it because the World Series was so compelling. But Kirby Puckett was great. Nine for 21 with a couple of home runs. Morris won two games there. The bullpen won two, surviving a couple poor starts from Kevin Tappany. Then to the fall classic, indeed, a classic. ESPN once selected it as the greatest all-time World Series. Five of the games being decided by a single run. Four decided in the final at bat. Three going to extra innings. Game three in particular was one for the ages. Well, we'll get to game seven eventually. But game three was a 20-game winner, Scott Erickson, against Atlanta's late-season hero, Steve Avery. In the NLCS, remember, Avery hadn't allowed a run to the Pirates at all in 16 and a third innings. And Tom Kelly, the Twins manager, said very dryly going into the three games in Atlanta that managing without the DH was right up there with rocket science. And, and that would actually be proven in this game, the first-ever World Series game in the state of Georgia. Avery went to the showers in favor of Alejandro Pena, leading 4-2 in the eighth. Pena had been 13 of 13 in save opportunities coming over from the Mets, but he hadn't pitched in a while. And sure enough, first battery face pinch hitter Chili Davis tied the game with a monster home run to left, so Avery left with a no decision. Then the game got really bizarre. Substitutions, double switches all over the place. Kent Merker came on to pitch to Kent Herbeck in the 12th. And as Merker came into the game, Tim McCarver theorized on the, the TV broadcast that the Twins might be forced to use one of their pitchers as a pinch hitter if the inning continued. Because entering the 10th, Tom Kelly had used all but Paul Sorrento and Al Newman on his bench. He had only Mark Guthrie and Rick Aguilera in the bullpen. Sorrento was used as a pinch hitter in the 10th. Newman came on in the 11th defensively. So with Puckett at the plate and the pitcher's spot on deck, sure enough, McCarver's theory became reality. Cox brought in Jim Clancy to pitch, called for an intentional walk with the pitcher's spot due. That loaded the bases, forced Kelly's hand. Kelly sent Rick Aguilera to the plate, and he actually was a converted infielder. I mean, it's not like he had never been up there before, and he made contact. He flied out to pretty deep center, but... The bases stayed loaded, the game stayed tied. Bottom of the 12th, Aguilera still in the game, got the first out, but then Justice is single, Brian Hunter popped out. Justice stole second on an 0-2 count. And then uh, Mark Lemke on deck, Aguilera pitching carefully. Uh, Lemke ends up the, the, the hero of this, as uh, Dan Gladden's throw home, little bit up the line. 5-4 final, two games to one now for the Twins. They're not up three games to nothing. and. That's what got Atlanta back in it. They won on another walk-off in Game 4. Lemke sliding around the tag of Brian Harper. Game 5, a blowout in the Braves' favor. So the Twins needed to go home, win both Game 6 and 7. Game 6 decided famously in the last of the 11th, the Kirby Puckett home run. He was known as a free swinger, but he actually was taking pitches until finally blasting off against Charlie Liebrandt in the left-field seats. Jack Buck with his famous call, and we'll see you tomorrow night. And... Game seven, what can you say? The scoreless duel between Morris and Smoltz into the bottom of the 10th. Bases loaded, nobody out. And Gene Larkin, pinch hitting, first pitch he sees. The single in a deep left center, past the drawn-in infield. Dan Gladden comes trotting in. And there you have it, the second World Series title since moving to Minnesota. We'll hear from Dan Gladden later in the podcast, by the way. It was uh, Jack Morris, the first player to come out and embrace Gladden at the plate, followed by many others. 
And at the same time, Larkin mobbed at first base. The two jubilant groups eventually merging into the middle of the diamond as their families came out on the field. Jack Morris had his two sons out there. The players did a victory lap around the perimeter of the Metrodome. It was really pretty nice to watch. A, a classic World Series. Elsewhere in baseball in 1991, Rod Carew, former twin, into the Hall of Fame, along with Gaylord Perry, Fergie Jenkins, and Bill Veck. Cal Ripken Jr. and Terry Pendleton were your MVPs. Roger Clemens and Tom Glavin, your Cy Young Award winners. Let's get you to the lineup for the Minnesota Twins of 1991. The Rookie of the Year, Chuck Knobloch, at second base to lead it off. Then Puckett in center, Shane Max in right. Chili Davis DHing. Kent Herbeck at first, Brian Harper the catcher. Greg Gagne at short, Gladden's in left, and Mike Tagliarulo, the third baseman for manager Tom Kelly. So, we shift now to 2004. Hello, 2004. And we'll get into this, do a little deep dive psychology. That the championship of 04 for the Red Sox, transforming the defeat of 03, the heartbreak for older generations, the baptism by fire for new generations in New England. Beautiful arc in hindsight, but uh, you know, going into that ALCS rematch against the Yankees, the possibility of redemption weighing heavily against the... Uh, the dread of the fresh trauma from the year before. I mean, people were openly questioning, why are we raising our kids as Red Sox fans? You get down three games to nothing. This is all just too painful. Now, Wakefield having allowed the Game 7 home run to Boone to end it the year before. No World Series yet again. So, yeah, here's 4 You're down three games to nothing, including losing 19-8. to And then somehow they rose like a phoenix in Boston. Game 4, the Dave Roberts stolen base, eventually the walk-off from Big Poppy. Don't let us win tonight, Kevin Millar had said, right? Because Pedro's going in game five. So, yes, winning game four and five. Then Schilling with the ankles swollen up like a sausage. The skin sewed on there with the, the ruptured tendon sheath. He takes the ball in game six, wins it, sets up game seven. The resounding shot of Johnny Damon's grand slam echoing into the cosmos. And there you have it. And, you know, whereas that 1991 World Series we talked about was epic to, to kind of punctuate it, that wasn't the case in 04. There was nothing epic about the 04 World Series. It was a slaughter. Boston outscoring St. Louis 24 to 12. Never trailed for a minute of that series. But the finale was played under both a full moon and a lunar eclipse on the anniversary of the Red Sox Game 7 loss to the Mets in 86. It could not have been any more poetic. And a Boston Globe editorial a few months after it all came down posed an interesting thought. I'd like to take a couple minutes to lay it out for you. The editorial states, as masters of the perennial near miss, members of Red Sox Nation may have been eternal losers, but in our predestination for failure, we had something special, a Calvinist sense that we were in our humility and accursedness somehow distinct from all those arrogant New Yorkers or lazy Angelinos in LA or mild Minnesotans. Now that we've won, We've taken a step towards becoming more like everyone else, more like the Sun Belt of Arizona and Florida, where World Series championships must seem to fall from trees like overripe grapefruit. And, you know, sure enough, it's kind of where it landed because the Red Sox started gathering World Series championships right after that. They'd win three more in the next 14 years, and some would say Sox fans became somewhat insufferable starting with 04. So... Just putting it out there, let's get you the lineup that Terry Francona has submitted for tonight. 
his 95 and 67 ball club up against a 91 twins team that was also 95 and 67. Leading off in center, it is Johnny Damon, followed by Mark Bellahorn at second, Manny Ramirez in left, David Ortiz at DH, Trot Nixon's in right, is Veritex the catcher, Kevin Millar at first, Bill Miller at third, Orlando Cabrera, who remember was traded in for Nomar Garcia Parra midseason. He is a shortstop batting number nine. That's in support of Tim Wakefield. 12 and 10, 4.87 ERA, and really the, the third guy in the rotation behind the 21 and 6 Kurt Schilling, the 16 and 9 Pedro Martinez. All three of those guys in their 30s, Wakefield and Schilling both 37. And in 04, you got to remember one of the big reasons the Sox beat the Yankees is Tim Wakefield took the ball and saved the bullpen in game three of that 19 to 8 blowout. They would need that bullpen as it turned out the rest of the way. The knuckleballer, and we'll have fun chronically mad here in this one. It's, it's a gum wrapper in a windstorm here. And uh, Doug Mirabelli, who would later catch him, liked to say, if you remember Karate Kid trying to catch a fly with chopsticks, that's the job uh, of catching a knuckleball. And, you know, the equivalent of a four-hit game for Jason Veritek tonight would be getting through a start from Tim Wakefield without a pass ball allowed. Chuck Knobloch will lead things off against Wakefield. This is 37 years old, facing 22 years old. The Twins' rookie of the year. Just one home run, but he stole bases. He drove in 50 runs, hit 281. And the pitch to the Texas native is outside. We're underway. On a nice night here at Fenway, and defensively, Damon in center, flanked by Ramirez in left. Nixon is towards the line in right. Up the middle, Bellhorn at second, Cabrera at short, Miller at the hot corner in a little bit, and Kevin Millar at first. Next delivery, that is inside now, another knuckleball, it's 2-0. Twins in the pinstriped gray uniforms, the road uniforms with the dark blue caps. Red Sox in the classic home whites with the red trim. Next delivery, fly ball towards center field. Johnny Damon is getting under it. Center fielder makes the catch, one up, one down. And it brings up the opposing center fielder, Kirby Puckett. Who is so popular back in the Twin Cities. He, he doesn't look the part. He's paunchy like the Padres' Tony Gwynn, but every little leaguer in Minneapolis wants to wear that number 34 for good reason. Pitch to him, knuckleball strike, dancing to the outside corner. Puckett's rookie season in the majors back in 84, he led the league in, in a lot of weird things. But, I mean, you, you look at these stats, 557 at-bats. He had only 12 doubles. He had five triples, no home runs, 16 walks. But he had the high batting average. That, that lack of power is so strange when you consider just two years later, 31 home runs for Puckett. He started with zero. Taking here outside, it's one and one. Kirby winning the gold glove six times in his career, top three in MVP voting three times. And he went out on top his last season. He hit 314. Swings and fouls this one at the plate, one and two. Kirby sadly will pass away at the age of 45. Retired early because of glaucoma, then developed some other health conditions, eventually passed because of a stroke. And Twins GM Andy McPhail said when Kirby retired, Puck has this effervescent, ingratiating personality, just a warm, genuine person. If he had been playing in New York or L.A., 
they would have already built statues. Pitch from Wakefield is lined in a center field. That's a base hit. Johnny Damon gets it back in, but Kirby Puckett jumped on a knuckleball that was dead center. Squared it up, he's at first, and a threat to run as Shane Mack steps in there, 310 batter, 18 homers. And just another note or two on Puckett, no disrespect meant to Shane Mack during his at bat, but beyond the measurable accomplishments for Puckett, becoming hugely popular for leading this team by example and exuberance. And the players around him couldn't dog it because he's running out ground outs in spring training games, is what McPhail would say. Impossible for people to give half an effort when the best player on the team is going full bore at all times. Puckett's running. The pitch is low. The throw down by Veritek is not in time. Stolen base for Kirby Puckett. And Tim Wakefield does allow the occasional stolen base. 33 of them here in 04. Not even most on the team. Derek Lowe allowed one more than that. But the man from the south side of Chicago is now standing at second base. Kirby Puckett grew up the youngest of nine kids in a three-room apartment in a housing project. His dad was a postal worker. Kirby going to Bradley for a while, Triton College in Illinois. Twins selected him in the first round of the 82 draft. He had four hits in his first big league game in 84. It was onward and upward from there. The pitch from Wakefield low, 2-0. No score. We're in the top of the first inning at Fenway. Kirby's 1988 season, probably his personal best. 356 with a batting average, 24 homers, 121 batted in. Then he won the batting title in 89. And of course, the World Series here in 91. Here's a pitch to Mack. That is punched in a right, that's a base hit. Trot Nixon going towards the line to field it. He'll get it in, but here comes Puckett. Rounding and scoring without a throw. It is one to nothing. The 91 Twins on top. Shane Mack, who knocked in 74 during the regular season, gets one here. One nothing, and Chili Davis next to the plate, the switch hitter. He's got 93 home runs, or excuse me, 93 runs batted in off 29 home runs. 277 hitter, and the Fenway crowd seems a little anxious right now. Wakefield's knuckleball getting hit very squarely. And sometimes that means someone parking one of those knucklers on Lansdowne Street. This pitch, that's a fastball strike, nothing in one. Wakefield occasionally will do that. Now we should talk about Fenway's unique dimensions while we have a chance. 308 down the left field line with the very imposing green monster glaring at these hitters, just daring them to take a shot. It's only 302 down the right field line, but it jumps to 379 very quickly in the right center alley, which means you'd better have a right fielder, not just a center fielder who can cover ground. There's a triangle out there in right center. It all plays like a giant arcade game here. It pitches low, one and one. And this place is packed tonight, as you'd expect. May of 03 to April of 2013. 794 regular season sellouts in a row, 820 games overall. It's a major league record. Here's a pitch to Davis. Swung on, it's rolled into right, a base hit. On to third goes Shane Mack as Nixon arcs the throw back in. Runners at the corners now, already a run on the scoreboard. And here comes the dangerous Kent Herbeck. 
Another lefty hitting 284, 20 home runs. More walks than strikeouts. 80, excuse me, 68 walks, 47 strikeouts. And Wakefield's got to get this knuckleball to start behaving, or misbehaving is maybe better said. Wakefield, 37 years old, but we note that Hoy Wilhelm threw the knuckler in the big leagues till age 49. Phil Necro till age 48, Charlie Huff till 46. Pitch is swung on and fouled back to the net, nothing in one. Tim Wakefield set the bar pretty high for himself when he first came over here to Boston. His first 15 decisions, he was 14 and one with a 165 ERA. And the Wakefield story is great. He was a weak hitting minor league infielder for the Pirates, converted to knuckleball pitcher, gets to 10 and one for the Pirates, wins two playoff games, and suddenly loses command of the knuckleball, goes back to the minors and gets pounded. There's a throw to first, runner back. Well, the Pirates give up on him. Red Sox sign him. He reports to spring training. He finds knuckleball artists. Phil and Joe Necro just happen to be there as well. The Silver Bullets women's team that they're coaching is sharing that same spring training facility. So the Necros are on site. They spruce up the knuckler. Tim Wakefield goes back to the majors, winning 14 of those first 15 decisions as a Red Sox. Pitch is outside here. It's one and one. 91 twins leading one to nothing. And to beat Tim Wakefield, yeah, you got to be patient, I guess. Got to be selective, make him throw strikes. Whether he does or doesn't, eventually, he's likely to get one up in the zone. This pitch fouled straight back, and that was up in the zone. One and two. Ken Herbeck took a big cut. You know, Wakefield had that great postseason for the Pirates back around the time of these 91 twins that he's facing tonight. Matter of fact, the MVP trophy from the NLCS was actually waiting for Wakefield in his locker. That and a bottle of champagne, but Francisco Cabrera had the pinch hit single left. Sid Bream slides in safely, and out goes the trophy, out goes the bubbly. All that ends up in John Smoltz's locker instead. Pitch to Herbeck is driven deep down the right field line. It's bending, hooking, and foul. And not by much. Well, keep in mind, Tim Wakefield earlier in this 0-4 season once allowed six home runs in a game and won the game. That was in Detroit. He won 11-9. First pitcher to allow six home runs in a game since George Castor of the Philadelphia A's in 1940. And somehow he still wins the game. Runners take their leads. Here's a 1-2 pitch. Swung on, hit on the ground towards second. Bellahorn's got it. Puts to Cabrera for one on to Millar. The double play. Herbeck rolls into the 4-6-3, and that does retire the side. One run in, however, on three base hits. Middle of the first, it's the 1991 Twins leading one to nothing. Let's keep it here in 91. Be like Mike. 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 Be
Well, as for something you can get into right now here in 2020, might we suggest you try out our good friends at Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. They're with you through all this nonsense here in 2020 with the best, most perfectly blended coffee on either coast of the great USA. Since 1963, the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf has been bringing you the finest coffees and teas from all around the world. Responsibly sourced ingredients, handcrafted coffees and teas, the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf is an experience like no other. one nothing for the 91 Twins, and they've got Jack Morris on the bump here at Fenway, 18 and 12. Top of a rotation that also includes the 16-win Kevin Taffany and the 20-win Scott Erickson, who's only 23. Morris, the veteran, 36 years old, St. Paul, Minnesota native, and in his first season with his hometown team, future Hall of Famer with a 3.43 ERA. He's facing Johnny Damon right now. Left-hand batter in at 3.04, taking a strike at the knees, nothing in one. Now the 04 Sox breakers of the curse, thanks in large measure, this long-haired left-hander Damon. And that narrative of the curse fostered by Canigliero's beanball, Jim Lonborg's ski trip knee injury, Pesky holding the ball, Aparicio falling down, Mel Parnell not pitching in the 48 playoff game, Pedro pitching too long in the playoffs on 03. On and on and on as the pitch is in there for a strike, it's one and one. Turns out all it takes is a little team of idiots, little Johnny Damon off the top. Outfield is straight up against him. Oh, Damon, by the way, speaking of outfielders, what a massive collision he had with Damian Jackson in the ALDS of last year. Ellis Burks and Mike Greenwell seemingly did that once a week when they were Red Sox teammates, like a wide receiver and a safety going for the same football. Pitch is low for Morris. Breaking ball is 2-1. Jack Morris played his college ball at BYU. Broke in with the Tigers at age 22 in 1977, predating Whitaker and Trammell and Gibson. Double-digit complete game totals every year, 85-91. to 91. Led the league in innings back in 83. Led in strikeouts that year as well as he misses outside to Johnny Damon, 3-1. and one. Morris, only a five-time All-Star, never finished top two in Cy Young balloting, but 254 wins in the regular season, seven more in the playoffs. Seven playoff series in his career, and he emerged on the winning side in six of them. Pitches in there for a strike, it's 3-2. and two. Only time Morris was on the wrong end of things was against the Twins as a Tiger in 87. Morris losing at game two to Burt Blylevin at the Metrodome. Herbeck, a fellow native Minnesotan, homered off of Morris, and uh, Tim Laudner had a big two-run hit from the number nine spot in that one. Pitch coming. It's low. It's ball four. So Johnny Damon is on as a tying man. Here's the switch hitting Mark Bellhorn, 264 batter. Had a big 0-4 postseason, but, you know, actually he was just 9 for 47. Doesn't sound like a big postseason, right? But he had two game-winning homers and a game-winning double among those nine hits in 14 games. He swings and misses here. It's nothing in one. That really wasn't until mid-August that these Red Sox took off. They won 20 of 22 with the new additions settling in. And what they did in the postseason was remarkable. They swept the 105-win Cardinals after rallying from down three games to nothing against the 101-win Yankees. Pitch is low and outside, one and one. 
Bellhorn, the former Oakland A's second round pick out of Auburn, wearing number 12 on his back, batting as a lefty. Now the pitch, that is walloped, but caught at short. Plucked right out of the air. It looked like it was going to be a base hit off the bat, but Greg Gagne was standing right there to take it. So, one down. And here comes Manny Ramirez. This is the scary part of the order. Ramirez, 43 home runs, then Ortiz. And in terms of Red Sox pairs homering in the same game, pairs of Sox, Ortiz and Ramirez 48 times. That's not number one. Evans and Rice did it 56. And if you want all time in the majors, Aaron and Matthews 75, Gehrig and Ruth 73, Mays and McCovey 68 times. Pitch on the way for Morris. Fork ball, though. It's 1-0. So many Manny being Manny stories we could tell you. So many from which to choose. One year, Manny, having refused to speak to the media all spring, ended his silence to talk about the grill that he had for sale on eBay. Pitchers outside, the fastball 2-0. Of course, it was a common sight here at Fenway to see Manny disappear into the green monster at various moments throughout games during pitching changes and all. This pitch high, 3-0. But Manny moments aside, what a career for this one-time first-round pick of the Indians. 12-time All-Star. Never MVP, but top four four times. Almost Rookie of the Year as well back in 94. Lost out to Hammer and Bob Hamlin of the Kansas City Royals. Lifetime home runs as it turned out. Hamlin 67 of them. Manny 555. And he takes here outside. It's ball four. Now it's another thing that Manny Ramirez does is walk. 90 or more in a season four times in his career. So two on now. And here is David Ortiz. 41 home runs for him. 139 batted in. 47 doubles too. It was a winner of 0-2. Big Poppy arrived after being released by these Minnesota Twins. Who knew? Not a tip from his buddy Pedro. A marriage was arranged. Left-hand batter waiting. He swings. He doesn't get it. Nothing in one. Well, sometimes you just don't know what you have till you need it, right? Ortiz was brought in to compete with Jeremy Giambi for playing time. Years from now, Koji Uhara was supposed to just be a middle reliever, not even a setup man. Only when Bailey and Hanrahan got hurt did Uhara become what he became in 2013. Red Sox are good at that. Bring in somebody with no promises, turn him into a stud. Pitch is high from Morris's time, a fastball one and one. One nothing, the 91 Twins have the lead. And with David Ortiz, it's been said he never walks alone. Appropriate that eventually the Red Sox ownership group will grab Liverpool, add that to their portfolio, that uh, soccer team, that's their motto. You never walk alone. That's David Ortiz. All people, teammates, opponents, fans are all drawn to the, the sunlight of his personality as he takes outside for Morris 2-1. This guy's a self-made hitter. The born leader, he's a counselor, a philosopher, he's a confidant, doing it in two different languages. Morris to the plate with the pitch. That's left down the right field line. That's a fair ball. Looking like a double. Going to chase in two runs. Finally played back in. There is David Ortiz standing at second base. 
as the ball was chased by Shane Mack. All of a sudden, with one swing of the bat, the 0-4 Red Sox are on top, two to one. And David Ortiz has that Barry Bonds-like ability just to, to turn on pitches and keep them fair. That one just fair down the line. And it brings up Trot Nixon, another left-hand batter, hitting 315. Only six home runs. He was a part-time player. Gabe Kapler, the other right fielder this year, added six home runs as well. And the pitch, a strike on the inside, nothing in one. David Ortiz smiling as he takes that lead off second. You know, when he first came up with the Mariners and Twins, he was initially David Arias. That was his mom's maiden name. In the Dominican, it's not unusual for the mom's last name to go after the dad's. But after a couple years in the States, Ortiz realized it's the other way around in this culture, so he changed it to his dad's last name, which is Ortiz. Taking is Nixon, and it's low. And it's funny, people used to tell Ortiz he, he looked like Mo Vaughn. Now he just hits like Mo Vaughn. And Ortiz used to love those Mo Vaughn comparisons. Vaughn was Ortiz's favorite player when David Ortiz was a teenager. Ortiz, pretty good lead from second. Pitch to Nixon is crushed towards right center. That's a base hit. Cut off by Puckett. And it will hold Nixon to a single here, but Ortiz rumbling in to score. It is 3-1 Boston. Trot Nixon coming through, and Jack Morris in some trouble in a surprisingly high-scoring game early on. 3-1 for the 0-4 Red Sox, and it brings up Jason Veritek. Switch hitter wearing 33, and he was part of the, the tipping point, I think, of this 0-4 season for Boston. July 24th with uh, A-Rod chirping in the batter's box in a heated Red Sox-Yankees game. Veritek putting his catcher's glove in A-Rod's face. Things got a little crazy from there. Pitch coming, hit sharply on the ground towards short. Gagne will start it to second for one turn. Over to first, they got the double play. Leave it to a native New Englander, Greg Gagne, coming home, starts the 6-4-3 DP. That'll end the inning here, but the Red Sox score three times on a couple of base hits at the end of one. 0-4 Red Sox three, 91 Twins one. And here in 0-4, we pause for this. Wicked, wicked hard. Wicked hard. Dunkin' Donuts introduces the New England Maple Cheddar Sandwich. Park. I can't find a place to park. Park. Can't find a place to park. A delicious combination of real maple-flavored sausage, egg, and melted cheddar. So, for a great New England taste... I play wicked hard when I go to the park. Get one today. No, no, no. Kurt, you can't do it like that. Try the New England Maple Cheddar Sandwich or any of our breakfast sandwiches for $1.99. Just the thing. Thank you, Kurt Schilling. You crazy. As the uh, 91 Twins come to the plate now in the top of the second... A man who's not nearly as crazy, but is known to have a pretty good time off the field. Motorcycle enthusiast Dan Gladden spending some time on our Throwback League broadcast now to weigh in on why these 91 twins were able to do so many good things. Well, that year, we, you know, the addition of the free agents in Jack Morris and Chili Davis uh, during the course of the year. Of course, Chuck Knobloch rose up and became Rookie of the Year. Had uh, Shane Mack. Uh, everybody had some good years. Uh, the platoon with Pagarulo and, and Scott Leyes over there at, at third base. But if you, you, you talk about the season, uh, we won 15 games in a row at one point. Wow, yeah. 
and then we lost to Baltimore on a ball that I always say Kirby Puckett should have caught. Uh, but uh, and then we went off and rattled off. We won about nine more after that. So we kind of, you know, we, we knew we were a good team. But uh, if I have to pin it down, it's game six, Puckett's game, uh, the catch and the home run, and then going into the clubhouse afterwards knowing we're going to play game seven and seeing Jack Morris at his locker putting his street clothes on and the, the look and the confidence that he had, it resonated with his teammates knowing that we got Jack Morris on the mound the next day. One nothing, stellar game. Who scored that run? I did, and that was uh, tenth inning. He always wondered about, you know, why didn't you do it earlier? Well, it had to play out, and Jack had to do his thing, you know. Uh, but you know, it was just one of those things. I always tell him that half that MVP is mine. We should come by and cut it up, or at least let me borrow it. Yes, yeah, so we'd, we'd still be playing right now. That's right. You That's right. <laughs> Thanks to Dan Gladden, and he'll figure into this top of the second inning. Three-one ball game. The 0-4 Red Sox on top, but in the top of the second, after a Brian Harper ground out, Gagne a double. Gladden flies out deep to center. That actually moves Gagne along to third. Wouldn't matter because Mike Pagliarulo steps up. Launches a home run. This game tied 3-3. Chuck Knobloch would ground out after that. 3-3 to the top of the third. Kirby Puckett flies to center, but then back-to-back jacks. Tim Wakefield leaving knuckleballs up. Matt got one. Davis got one. 5-3 ball game. Herbeck strikes out. Harper pops out. So it stays 5-3 Minnesota. They would tack on a run in the top of the sixth. Another home run. This time Brian Harper. Going up on top of the monster. A 6-3 game at this point, And make it four home runs allowed by Tim Wakefield. Red Sox battling back in the bottom of the sixth inning. After Mark Bellhorn rolls out to first. Manny Ramirez slashing a single in a center. Ortiz hits one into the bullpen. And a two-run shot cutting that lead down. Make it at that point 6-5 at the end of six innings. On to the top of the seventh we go. Knobloch. The walk to lead it off. Puckett with a fielder's choice to reach. Mack reaching on a Kevin Millar error. Set it up for Chili Davis who struck out. But a big two-out clutch hit the other way by Kent Herbeck. Looping it over Cabrera at short. That made it 7-5. Brian Harper hit one pretty well to left center. But Damon tracked it down. So it could have been worse. A 7-5 game going to the bottom of the seventh inning. Let's pick it up there. Bottom of the seventh. And... It is still, at this point, the same pitcher. You've got Jack Morris on the mound, although Steve Bedrosian's loosening up in the bullpen. Kevin Millar, the batter, looks at a strike. It's 0-1 to a 297 batter, right-hand hitter. Millar and Minkiewicz, such a good platoon at first base for these 0-4 Red Sox. Maybe the best defense at that position since the days of George Boomer Scott in the late 1970s. Pitch coming to Millar that is pulled foul, scorched into the crowd. Carlton Fisk used to do that too. Millar's good at it, just wearing out sections 72 to 82 here at Fenway. If the dimensions of a baseball field were 30 feet or so to the left, Kevin Millar would have been an all-star every year. Next delivery coming. Swing that's rolled in the left field. That's a base hit. He straightened it out this time to send a little ground ball in between third and short. So Bill Miller will come up after Millar reaches. Tying man at the plate. He's switch hitting Miller, 33 years old. 
283 hitter this year with a dozen home runs. The rookie Kevin Euclid seeing time at the hot corner as well this year. But Miller, last year's batting champion in the AL, 2003. There was a stretch of four or five years where the AL batting titleist was the Red Sox. No more in 99 and 2000, Manny in 02, Miller in 03. What well, would have been a run of five in a row interrupted in 01 by Ichiro. As the pitch is high, it's ball one. Bedrosian continuing to throw in the bullpen. Well, Bill Miller had a walk-off home run against Mariano Rivera. That same day we were talking about where Jason Veritek shoved his mitt in the face of Alex Rodriguez. And everybody remembers Dave Roberts for the steal in game four of the 0-4 ALCS, but it was Miller that drove him home to tie that game. Next pitch outside, 2-0. Bill Miller went on to go 6-for-14 in the World Series as well. You, you don't hear his name a lot, but he was always a very solid player for this generation of the Red Sox. Pitch coming, and he golfs it towards left center. That's down for a base hit. Now Jack Morris not happy with himself. That ball was down, but not down enough. And Bedrosian looks like he's ready if they want him. But they're going to go ahead and say keep going to Orlando Cabrera. Let's see how they play it here. Cabrera, no, he's got six home runs. Doubles guy. Would they consider a bunt here? Trailing by a couple. Get those tying men in a scoring position. No Mars replacement, Orlando Cabrera. Unburdened from being on a rotten team. He has excelled in a winning environment here. And he squares, he bunts it foul at the third base line. It's nothing in one. Pagliarulo was in, but just kind of watched it wander foul. Cabrera replacing a very popular player, of course, in Nomar Garcia Parra. Guy that was just a bottomless bowl of line drives. You just wish that Garcia Parra could have enjoyed his time in Boston a little more. He didn't love all the media attention, just wanted to hit those line drives and win some games. Reminiscent of Carl Yastrzemski when you think about it. Once again, Cabrera squares. He bunts it up in the air. Here comes Herbeck from first. He's got it. Well, that backfired. Johnny Damon will come up now. And Morris, it's not like the pitch count is a big deal here. He's only at, at 90. So we'll let him keep going. Damon, the 2004 World Series Game 4 leadoff home run. Sox, of course, kept that lead into the ninth. And under that lunar eclipse, Keith Folk got Edgar Renteria on the comebacker to seal the sweep. Runners have their leads from first and second. The pitch is just outside for ball one. Now Morris thought that might have been a strike. But now he's dealing 1-0 instead of 0-1 to a guy with pop. Damon, we mentioned 20 home runs this year. One of the cult heroes for this Boston team in 04. Morris has the sign. He kicks, he fires, swung on, hit deep. Towards the bullpens in right center. This ball back, this ball back, it is gone! Red Sox take the lead. Johnny Damon parks one. Shane Mack gave it a look, could not catch up to it. Into the bullpen it goes. It is an 8-7 lead for the 0-4 Red Sox. 
And Jack Morris knows that's it for him now. Oh, he's seething. Gave up a blue pit right before that. Got a call that he thought was a strike. It ended up being a ball. It's 1-0 instead of 0-1. Steve Bedrock Bedrosian about to come in. Manager Tom Kelly out to take the ball from a visibly upset Jack Morris. Not a good pitching line. Six and a third innings, nine hits, eight runs all earned. Two walks, four strikeouts. And the eight runs allowed by Morris, that's a real rarity in a Hall of Fame career. 13 postseason starts. Only once did he allow as many as seven runs in a game. That was in his last World Series that he pitched in. His Blue Jays were hammered by the Braves in Atlanta in 1992. There's some hammering going on in this game. Eight to seven now in the bottom of the seventh. And let's tell you how this will unfurl after that. Bedrosian comes on, base is clear. Bellhorn singles right away. Ramirez knocks him in with a double to left center. Makes it nine to seven. Ortiz a walk. Nixon does strike out. Veritek doubles in a couple. Terry Leach on in relief. Kevin Millar pops out. But a big inning. A six-run bottom of the seventh for the Red Sox to take control. And that's all they needed. They got relief work from Timlin, Williamson, Mendoza, and Folk. The winning pitcher ends up being Timlin in relief. Morris the loser. Your final is 11-7. to 11 runs, 13 hits, two errors for the 0-4 Red Sox. The 91 Twins eliminated, going 7-11 and 0. So, things are coming into focus now just a little bit. Next week, a one seed against a three seed. 86 Mets are the home team taking on the 0-5 Chicago White Sox. They advanced behind a Freddie Garcia two-hitter not too long ago. And I'm told our pitching matchup for that one, the slender righty John Garland against the hefty lefty Sid Fernandez. As for this one, the 4 Sox have advanced to the Final Four. They'll get the winner of the 84 Tigers and the 95 Indians just a few weeks from now. So, the throwback league picture getting a little less fuzzy here. Congratulations to the team of idiots. They march forward. This is Josh Lewin. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you'll continue to tell your friends what we're doing. Leave us a nice review if you wouldn't mind. Five stars are better than four. Check us out at thethrowbackleague.com. That's where you find all the box scores and the brackets, everything hopefully up to date. Thanks again. Congratulations, 04 Red Sox.